Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. The writer Naomi Klein has shared the public sphere with another Naomi, Naomi Wolf, for 25 years. Both had huge books in the 90s, and though their careers diverged wildly, many people still confused them, so much so that Klein began to think of Wolf as her doppelganger, her double. And then came COVID. Naomi Wolf began to move decisively into conspiracy terrain, sliding quickly from wild tweets about vaccine passports into appearing on Steve Bannon's war room. That sent Klein on a deep investigation, not just into Wolf, but about the mirror world that she entered and inflamed. We all know there is tons of misinformation. Klein's book tries to tell us why. We'll talk right after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. First things first, let's talk a little bit about our guest this morning, Naomi Klein. She's Canadian. She wrote a best-selling book called No Logo, which called attention to the kinds of corporate branding practices that have now become both commonplace and expected of just about everyone. She wrote an important book called The Shock Doctrine, The Rise of Disaster Capitalism, which has been cited over 12,000 times. And then she turned her attention to climate change. That is to say, she's a serious and accomplished writer who has broken ground on multiple topics. Her new book, Doppelganger, is perhaps not the book she would have liked to write. It is more than anything else an examination of the ways that old conspiratorial ideas about individualism, eugenics, and anti-Semitism have been refashioned into a strange diagonalist politics that brings together the far out and the far right. This toxic soup, she argues, obfuscates the harsh realities of the shadow lands of our world, the exploited people and sacrificial places that underpin life in developed countries. It is, in other words, a wide-ranging analysis of our times that is also the personal story of Klein's struggle to keep her voice from being drowned out by her doppelganger, Naomi Wolf. Naomi Klein, welcome to the show. Thank you, Alexis. It's great to be with you. Um, so let's talk about the way that this book got going. Basically, your social media mentions, your Twitter mentions, start to fill up with another, with the other Naomi. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, one thing I would just say about that really lovely introduction, thank you so much for that, is this is the book I wanted to write. <laughs> in fact, it's the only book I could, I think, have... I could bring myself to write in the in the in the vertigo of the pandemic and the way in which I think our shared reality has warped and changed. These are very weird times. Hmm. And 
I couldn't really bring myself to write a sort of conventional um, nonfiction book of the kind I have written for the past quarter century that was just thesis, fact, 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 you know, huh. 70 pages of endnotes. I felt like I needed that, 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 uh, that that form needed to match con- uh, content in in the sense that that, we, that I felt like I needed to get weird <laughs> <laughs> to to kind of um, speak to the weirdness of our time. So yes, I use the personal vertigo of losing control over my public identity during the pandemic, where every day I would be greeted by thousands of posts online. I mean, I'm not kidding. Like I would just scroll. I could never reach bottom uh, at, at wow. certain points um, of people either screaming at me because of something somebody else had done or laughing about the fact that I, cause it became one of Twitter's favorite jokes for a while, laughing that, that I would get blamed, like thoughts and prayers to Naomi Klein. And then I would sort of reverse engineer it to try to understand what, Naomi Wolf had done to cause all of these people to be upset because you know how tw- how Twitter is. You, you know, yeah, you're trying to like reverse engineer the story. Yeah, I mean, right. I will say you do talk in the book about like kind of fighting the impulse to write this book, though, right? I mean, that you sure that I mean, you kept trying to look away is, from it. In, yeah. in my defense, it was never my intent. But this is more creative nonfiction than I've written before. I, I, um, yeah in part because I was grounded um, for the first time in a very long time. I wasn't able to do the kind of travel that, that, that I need to do for my work and that um, I've done, as I said, you know, for the past mm-hmm. now 30 years, really, um, if you count all the reporting. And I thought, well, maybe I'll take a writing course because I wanted to just, <laughs> I was feeling really speechless about Everything that was happening, things were just getting so strange. So many people were seemed to be changing. People who I had trusted, who I had considered reliable progressive voices were now moving to the right. There were you know, yoga teachers joining the trucker convoy. <laughs> like it was There's just, a woman <laughs> whose first book sold a million copies taking a writing course. Like, yeah, <laughs> things are getting very strange out there. Well, yeah. I, you know, I... I what can I say? I, I I just wanted to have fun writing again. So yes, mm. it, it the book the book begins with me in a very destabilized state, and that is true. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it does get to I think more solid ground. I see it as a, as a mapping project. I think the world has changed uh, in significant ways. We're not going back to where we were before this cataclysm of the pandemic and the overlay of of many other crises and disasters, climate, um, you know, racial justice, uprisings, responding to police violence and murder. I mean, it, there, normal normal has left the building. We're going somewhere else. Mm. And I've always seen my books as being attempts to map the political moment back to No Logo. And so this is a weirder map, as I said, right. for weirder times. It has more detours. Um, it doesn't go in a straight line, but I don't see how it could have, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so let's talk about the person who becomes kind of um, the rabbit you're chasing down the rabbit mm-hmm. hole here, uh, Naomi Wolf. Can you just, I mean, people may remember she wrote this um, extremely popular book called The Beauty Myth. She was a Rhodes Scholar. Um, what else do we need to know about her so that we can kind of go down the hole? Well, I think she she was very much the media face of 
what was called the third wave of feminism. Um, so, you know, feminism sort of became passe in the public. I never went away. <laughs> I've always been feminist doing important um, critical feminist work, organizing. But it definitely fell out of fashion in the in the go-go 80s. Um, and, and then there was this sort of discovery of a third wave at the beginning of the 90s. And there was some really terrific work being done by people like Rebecca Walker and Susan Faludi, uh, Eve Ensler, um, and Naomi Wolf was really very much the telegenic face of this third wave mm-hmm. with the beauty myth that came out at the beginning of the 90s. And she wrote other books like Fire with Fire, which was very much like a like a, a, a lean in style feminism, like we're gonna we're gonna s- smash that glass ceiling, th- yeah. which is simply Take to the say, boardroom. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't a revolutionary feminism. It wasn't a socialist feminism. It was, it it, it was let's remove the barriers that are getting in the way of um, largely elite women b- uh, um, ha- being treated equally to their male c- counterparts, and that was the thesis. For I'm sorry, my necklace seems to be jangling. With this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll deal with that in a pause. Um, yeah, so the beauty myth itself was about this. It was about how it was an argument that at the precise moment that women were uh, breaking through glass ceilings in the workplace and in post-secondary education, beauty standards were changing and uh, Wolf argued that women were uh, being forced to work a third shift. So you had your work shift, you had your um, you know, ch- home child care uh, shift, and then you also had the, what she called the beauty shift, where women were supposed to look like professional models. Uh, so, you know, it, it was important when I was in second year university. We had criticisms of, of the fact that it was an elite kind of feminism, that it was very white, um, didn't seem to reckon with the that with the far less attainable beauty standards that she was talking about for women of color. Um, but then she was also a very high-level uh, Democratic Party advisor, including for Al mm-hmm. Gore in 2000, which led to like many late-night jokes and things like that. So she was a famous feminist, yeah. Huh. And was she important to you during that period of, of her life? She was. Um, not... Like I had, I had critiques as a baby feminist uh, for for the reasons I just mentioned. But look, I'm not going to lie that seeing a, a a a Jewish woman named Naomi out there making waves and making a name, um, I think it it planted an, a seed. It planted an idea in my my head when I was when I was. 20, 21, um, that maybe I could write books one day. And it it may have given me the chutzpah to write no logo when I was in my 20s. Yeah. So why do you think people mix the two of you up? Um, Look, what I'm describing is not unique, (laughs) Um, especially in the age of social media, where we are all inundated with these tiny little thumbnail size pictures and, you know, two line bios of one another. I don't think our brains are wired to sort this many faces um, and this many names. Um, You know, no offense, Alexis, but there are like 
There are like seven <laughs> people named Alex on the internet who I'm constantly... See, that's why Alexis, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just better. like it's boy better. Alexis and people are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know that guy. It's yeah. stickier. It's stickier. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, this sort of thing happens more for racialized people than for white people who, you know, that talk about having like a work twin who might be like another Asian person who their colleagues are constantly confusing them with, not because they look alike, but because, uh, you know, white supremacy breaks people's brains and we can't sort people out. I don't know, right? The reason why I find my doppelganger so interesting is not that I get confused with her, which I think happens for a variety of reasons, like the fact that, you know, uh, our, our names are similar on the on those thumbnails. We look sort of similar. She started writing more about exploitation during disasters and states of shock, which is something I write about. Mm-hmm. She has theories about Bill Gates planting my you know uh, (laughs) taking over the world through vaccines and i have theories about bill gates that are very different that are that i think are much more provable um but but i'm not a fan either for different reasons but i think for busy people we're just a couple of naomi's going on about bill gates um some of it may be anti-semitism according to my mother i don't know but what's interesting to me about her is less that she is a doppelganger of me than that she is a doppelganger of her former self. That she hmm. is so different from the person who who I became aware of in the 90s um, and even before the pandemic, who is still somebody who had legible liberal values and is now on Steve Bannon's podcast sometimes every single day. They wrote a book together. And she is one of many people I'm sure listeners can think of who have changed, mm. who have become mm-hmm. strange. You know, we all know people in our lives, like, what happened to them? They fell mm. down the rabbit hole. So I saw my doppelganger as a kind of a narrow aperture to look at this broader phenomenon of people changing yeah. in, in startling ways. Yeah. One of our listeners on Discord, Noel, says, it's really puzzling that Wolf spoke out against creeping fascism in this country, but now is palling around with the likes of Steve Bannon. Curious what Klein has to reveal about that. So we're going to talk about after the break. We also want to hear from you. Did someone in your life go through this kind of transition? That is to say, become gripped by conspiracy theories during COVID. What do you think happened? Give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. We are, of course, talking with journalist, author, and activist Naomi Klein about her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking with journalist, author, and activist Naomi Klein about her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip Into the Mirror World, about her intellectual struggle with having a doppelganger, Naomi Wolf, who's become a conspiracy theorist, really around COVID-related topics, but expanding outwards. Um, Naomi Klein, let's talk a little bit about the kinds of things that Naomi Wolf was saying, particularly online, that started to make you think, oh boy, like uh, something is shifting. The ground is warping. Like something is going on that's very weird. Hmm. Um, well, first of all, I I, I um, have tried not to call her a conspiracy theorist. Uh, I call her a conspiracy influencer mm. uh, because I feel like th- calling people a theorist isn't really fair to theory in the sense that there's not a coherent theory. There's just a moving around um, to whatever is kind of in the news and what is what is what a lot of people are talking about. And I see a lot of kind of mm-hmm. online clout chasing and no attempt to reconcile really contradictory ideas. Like, for instance, COVID is a bioweapon that's been cooked up in a lab by the Chinese in order to depopulate the earth. And, and COVID is a cold. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like if it's a bioweapon, presumably you would want to try to not get it. You know, <laughs> like if that and 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 it just moves around all the time. So, so I think it is important, and I call it conspiracy culture uh, mm-hmm. as much as mm-hmm. possible, mm-hmm. as opposed to conspiracy theories. In part because I think that there are real conspiracy theories in the world, and it is the work of investigative journalism to uncover them. Uh, and I think it's, in, you know, one of the things that I talk about in the book is that it, is that people like Wolf and Steve Bannon and large parts of the Republican Party are now in a world of their own creation, right, where facts don't matter at all. And I call it the mirror world. Um, but one of the tricky things is that things are so bizarre there and and dangerous that there's a risk of becoming so reactive that anything that they do, we just define ourselves against, right? Mm-hmm. So if they are interested in looking at COVID origins and a, and the lab leak, then we won't even talk about that whatsoever. If they have right. concerns about about prolonged school closures, then then there's just a kind of a shutting Keep them down. Closed as long as possible. <laughs> yeah, right. right. And so, um, I and I, I feel the same way about about the idea of just kind of dismissing people as conspiracy theorists. I mean, frankly, you know, Alexis, in your introduction, you talked about the shock doctrine and all those citations, and I think the shock doctrine has stood the test of time. Uh, it it it's it is on hundreds of courses, and and I have not had to do corrections about things that are wrong. But when it came out, um, some commentators called it a conspiracy theory. They don't anymore, but they did at the time. So. Yeah, I'm careful about that language. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah, you asked me when things got weird. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, you know, um, I want to do this for people who aren't mm-hmm. extremely online, right? Yeah, because yeah, I think sure. sometimes there there are levels to the kind of conspiracy culture that people are a part of. Mm-hmm. And I think Naomi Wolf began to represent kind of like, maybe not the edge, but something that was like pretty, pretty far out there in terms of, you know, the nanopaticles, right? You know, there were just all these kinds of things that people who aren't, you know, on Twitter maybe haven't seen. So just give us like an example of the kind of thing we're talking about. Okay, well, I I think at one point, I realized that this was worth investigating when there was actually an NPR story um, that was trying to get to the bottom of 
a piece of medical uh, misinformation that was spreading uh, um, virally. Uh, and maybe listeners will remember this idea that people who were vaccinated would shed their vaccine particles onto unvaccinated people and cause, for instance, um, bleeding between periods for for um, women and this this and there were all of these concerns that they were going to be made infertile um, and people were really believing this and it was it was getting a lot of traction in the worlds of women's wellness and online sort of influencers and a lot of women were deciding not to get vaccinated and, and but also like weird stories like n- refusing to sleep in the same bed as their vaccinated husbands because they were afraid of their vaccine particles shedding onto them. There was a school in Florida that fired a vaccinated teacher because the parents were concerned that the vaccinated teacher would shed their vaccine. So it's like a complete reversal. This is what I mean by the mirror world. (laughs) Like the actual threat is that people who are unvaccinated get very sick from COVID, shed the shed COVID on on, on vulnerable on uh, vulnerable people, but people vulnerable to COVID, and so you take that 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 actual risk and you flip it on its head and you make the vaccinated people the vectors, right? So NPR did um, a data analysis to try to get to the bottom of this and concluded that. There was one person who was what who was kind of a ground zero for this particular piece of medical misinformation, and it was. Naomi Wolf. And if you weren't reading very closely, Naomi Klein. Uh, so that was one of them. Um, there was, there. Were, I think... I just wanted to, yeah. I want to stop for one sec there just to say, you know, I'm looking at a, a study on uh, the NIH website. Um, massive study done to look at if there was an increase in menstrual cycle length or bleeding or all these things. And um, there was an increase in menstrual cycle length in a study of, you know, more than 20,000 people of less than, than one day. And there was also no increase um, in... Uh, the sort of heaviness or, or uh, length of um, menstruation. So I just noting for people who might be going, sure. well, was there a link? Is there a thing? You know, this was studies were done. Many like large studies were done. And, and, this that, but, and that's be, just relating to the people who got vaccinated. But th- what this was about was the idea of vaccinated people shedding onto unvaccinated right. people. And for, there is absolutely no evidence of that, right? And that impacting their menstrual cycles. Yeah, so wild. Mm-hmm. Um, I also should tell you that I've actually had my own uh, run-in with Naomi Wolf uh, okay. along these scores. Uh, when I was running the COVID tracking project, she began kind of spouting some like just wildest stuff about our team. This was at The Atlantic. You know, we had hundreds of volunteers. It was an extremely open project. She began kind of calling our form of data collection using state data, quote, unverifiable, though our methods were like really open and well known. Uh, And she wrapped us into these kind of random conspiracies. Mm -hmm. And through all that, I think what we really struggled to respond to was that there was so little truth in what she was saying. It was so unhinged from the actual reality of our work. Like there were all kinds of, as you're saying, in the real world, there were all kinds of COVID data problems. Yeah. <laughs> That's why yeah. we existed to try and help solve them. But what she was calling attention to was kind of nothing. So we were always caught in this. Do we let this stand? Do we walk into it? Do we try and say something about it? And we were just constantly caught in this cycle of like not knowing how to respond to what was just so bonkers. Yeah. I and mean, people have asked me, would I debate her? And I did try to interview her for the book, and she she d- didn't want to be interviewed. 
But I mean, I think she's sort of written off everybody who she considers, you know, on the left or liberals because she's crossed, you know, she's really thrown her lot in with the hard right. And, and she's given a hero's welcome. They love that she's a form, former Democratic Party advisor, even though it was decades ago. They play it up every time she goes mm-hmm. on, you know, Fox or any of these shows. Um, but but the idea of 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 having a debate, like how do you have a debate? when you don't have any shared realities, like any shared facts. And this is this is one of the things that is happening to reality. Like reality is warping and we are not having debates over different interpretations of a shared reality. We are literally having debates about who is in reality and who is in a simulation. Um, you know, another wild theory that she has shared um, is that she believes that people who have have been vaccinated are like Stepford people, like they're no longer fully human. Yeah, they don't smell human. She has said that. She has said that, which suggests that maybe she has long COVID and it's affecting, you know. Um, but but it's, it's more than that. Like she really, she she has reiterated over and over again this idea of kind of Stepford children without affect um, going into cities with high vaccination rates and them feeling inhuman. And, you know, this is another... You know, one of the things I say in the book is that conspiracy culture often gets the facts wrong, but the feelings right. Mm. Um, and this is another area where I think it's important not to be too reactive, where we're going like, everything's fine in cities. They're fantastic. Because if you walk around a, a, any big city, you see a lot of people staring at their phones, not looking at each other. It's not because of the vaccine, but we don't want to, we shouldn't put ourselves in a situation of defending a a kind of a broken um, mm-hmm. and failing status quo, because I think that that feeds conspiracy culture. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the most fascinating parts of your book is that it has this explanatory power for why certain groups of people ended up being disproportionately drawn into COVID conspiracy culture, as you mm-hmm. as you would call mm-hmm. it. And you fit some of those folks into this kind of framework of diagonalism, which mm-hmm. finds kind of Steve Bannon and Naomi Wolf somehow on the same team. So let's kind of break that down a little bit. I mean, tell us about diagonalist politics first. Yeah, so diagonalism is, um, it's, it's, it's an alternative to the horseshoe theory, which I'm sure... Um, you know, most people have heard of this idea that at the at the furthest end of the far the far right and the far left um, uh, become indistinguishable and essentially meet. Um, I don't think that that is what is going on. That my, the chapter of my book is called "The Far Out Meets the <laughs> Far Right" because it is less it is less the you know the Marxists and the and the the socialists on the of the far left who are crossing over pe- precisely because they tend to have an analysis of power and capital that inoculates them from the idea that there's a room somewhere where all of these plots are being hatched. And it's much more your 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 old yoga teacher who might be doing this or somebody who has a you know, as a chiropractor whose business was closed down during the pandemic, um, somebody who's selling supplements. Um, the term diagonalism was developed by uh, two uh, uh, scholars of European uh, politics, uh, William Callison and Quinn Slobidian. And it, 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 it comes out of their study of the, the phenomenon in Germany, which 
it translates as diagonalism or outside the box thinking. The term is Kerdunkin, which I always mispronounce. <laughs> um, but but what they were trying, what they were tracking, was the rise of the anti-lockdown movement in Germany and the way it combined elements of like holism and wellness, which of course in Germany has a really sinister history in the, in, in in fascist history, which the Nazis were very interested in the occult in um, in 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 all kinds of appeals to the natural um, holism, vegetarianism, and so on. Um, but also bodybuilding and right, yes, the perfection yeah. of self, of the body. Exactly, exactly. So, uh, so diagonalism, it combines a traditional, uh, a rejection of traditional democratic institutions, um, these elements of spiritual hol- holism with libertarianism, the belief that all power is conspiracy. And they make the argument that although it does have these elements of the new age and green left that cross over, it reliably crosses over to the hard right. Like there aren't examples of it moving to the left. Um, You know, even somebody like RFK Jr., who I think is a diagonalist figure, um, is, is taking... You know, he has discourse that sounds a little bit like Bernie Sanders, sounds a little bit like me, you know, sounds, you know, is, is, is you know, is, is anti, is anti-corporate, is, is anti-profiteering, but there are no solutions that, other than libertarian solutions. Um, so, it, you know, I don't think he's actually running a left campaign. I think he is co-opting elements of the left critique and moving it to the right. So interesting. Which I is mean, why he's been basically endorsed by Steve Bannon. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that is is fascinating is that when figures who are in, you know, kind of New York Times, NPR, kind of this this world of uh, media and kind of, you know, kind of close to the center, um, they don't just disappear. They might disappear mm-hmm. because they're banned from Twitter. Or they might, you know people might hear them less on shows like Forum, but they go to this other world where they get other things. Can you talk about sort of what uh, Naomi Wolf and and characters like her get from moving into the mirror world? Yeah, uh, and this is is something else that interested me because I had started to to follow what was going on with her and it it, it was helpful to me because I felt so powerless to deal with this identity <laughs> confusion, especially during lockdown, that I just adopted a kind of anthropological curiosity about what she was up to. And eventually she was deplatformed from Twitter. She's back under the, the new administration, as is everyone. Um, but she, w- when she was finally deplatformed in the spring of 2021, the response from liberal Twitter was as if she had been deleted from planet earth right i mean there were <laughs> right, all right. of yeah, there rip people were making like little i mean yes okay um we're being too online <laughs> but the, you know these little like soft focus videos thanks for the memories and all this and and uh and because i was watching what she was doing, I knew that the opposite was true, that she was not gone just because we could no longer see her. She actually had a larger platform than than she had had at any point since, you know, the heyday of her influence in the Mm. 1990s because she was on Fox regularly. She was on Bannon, as I said earlier, at one point every single day for two weeks. He has millions of of listeners and downloads and viewers online i'm sure he exaggerates but it's it's a big show it's a nerve center for what he calls maga plus um and this is translating into subscriptions for her website she's very good at monetizing so 
what she was getting from this, and I think what a lot of people uh, who make this crossover, I call them like the crossover stars, um, you see their followings explode. Russell Brand is another example of this. Um, you know, Russell Brand in the early, you know, the early months of the pandemic had fewer than a million followers. But once he really threw in with the conspiracy culture and started amplifying, um, you know, the keywords like the Great Reset and like all of this stuff, these conspiracies about Fauci and Gates, um, you know, he I think he has seven million uh, mm -hmm. uh, subscribers now. And this is monetized. This is a business. Um, and this is why I call them conspiracy influencers, because this is a change. You know, I've been tracking disasters for a long time, this, you know, the subject of the shock doctrine. And there are, there are always conspiracies that surge during uncertain and confusing times as people try to make sense of what is happening. It happened after Hurricane Katrina. It have to, happened after the Asian tsunami. Um, it happened after 9-11. Um, but what is different about now is that you can create a huge business just by peddling these theories. And that, I think, is, it just amplified it beyond anything we've seen before. I mean, did it feel like such a strange callback to your earlier work? I mean, in the way that this book is a little bit of a synthesis because it's suddenly mm -hmm. like you're back in no logo territory in some ways, but again, through the funhouse mirror of this kind of personal branding. Well, that's what that's what made it fun to write. Um, and it is, you know, I, I think you'll, it is, it, although it, it deals with serious subjects, I try to do it in a, in a way that is playful and self-deprecating, including confronting rather frontally the irony that I clearly have a branding problem, as somebody pointed out, a marketing, um, a marketing consultant pointed out online that, that, that I, he said, you know, Naomi Klein should sue Naomi Wolf for, 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 for brand dilution, which is very silly because, of course, I don't think any of this is intentional. But that was very funny to me because, of course, my first book was about branding. It was a critique of it. I, I have railed against the idea that, that human beings should be brands. Um, but, I, this was an opportunity for me to revisit some of that material because it ha it has it has become so much more prevalent since I first started mm -hmm. writing about it. Um, but to do it in a way that really implicates myself because I think that's necessary. Like we're all caught within this system. Very few people want to think of themselves as brands, but a lot of people feel obligated to do yeah. so. Yeah, boy, every every person involved in media or anything else actually <laughs> probably feeling that. Uh, we are talking with journalist, author, and activist Naomi Klein about her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World, her investigation of conspiracy culture in COVID times. We would, we're going to take some more of your calls and get to more of your comments in the next segment. Uh, what are your questions for Naomi Klein? The number is 866-733-6786. Forum at kqed.org or all the social things where our brand appears. We're KQED Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence. 
June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're with Naomi Klein talking about her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. It's an investigation of conspiracy culture and also her relationship with uh, the online Naomi Wolf, at least. Um, You know, one listener writes... I have a dear friend of over 40 years who took the Naomi Wolf turn during COVID. This coincided with a mental health crisis. I've noted, noticed over the months that the topics they evoke the mirror world response in have increased to the point where we have to tread lightly on many current issues. I'm deeply troubled as we don't seem to have common ground epistemologically anymore, and I struggle to maintain rapport. Has Naomi Klein encountered mirror world turns among intimates and friends akin to what she experienced professionally? And what's worked by way of finding common ground again? Um, thank you so much for, for that question. And, and I love that people are asking these sorts of questions. And I've, I have to say, I've heard some of the most moving responses to the book so far have been these letters that I've been getting from people who say that they've decided to reach out again to somebody who they had been estranged from. You know, during COVID, there were a lot of ruptures within friendships and families because everybody was so scared. And so particularly if somebody decided not to get vaccinated, um, you know, they were disinvited from family gatherings and so on. And there were real health reasons for that. Um, But I think now people are feeling ready to consider rebuilding some of those bridges if it feels safe. Um, and I, I think that there are ways that we can extend bridges and it's not going to work for everybody. It, it kind of de- depends a little bit how far uh, how far down the rabbit hole they have fallen. Um, but, you know, for instance, like if they're talking about how they won't get vaccinated because they don't trust big pharma, um, you know, it would be worth talking about whether or not you have some critiques of big pharma too. Yeah, I mean, I know right. I do. I'm not a right. big fan, right? And so just being really reactive and just say like, roll up your arm and get your shot. You know, I think we're we're, we're beyond that phase. Um, and it would be worth trying to find out whether there are some common, co- there, co- there's some common ground where you do agree on, on a basic premise uh, that we don't want to be giving a free pass to some of these big players and seeing if you can bring them over to areas that are, that are based mm-hmm. on facts as opposed to these wild conspiracy theories. But, you know, I think uh, that the that mental health is is really an issue that people are really stressed. Yeah. Um, Not just for people who go into the mirror world either. No, no, like Robin, yeah. exactly. Exactly. But I think, you know, this is part of why what 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 is happening is very dangerous because there's such an apocalyptic language that is used about the stakes of this. You know, it's good and evil. It's the white hats and the black hats. You know, you're stopping a genocide. You're stopping a Holocaust. Um, and, you know, I it, this is 
if if people believe this, I mean, I, I'm not sure the influencers really believe it, but I think that some of the people who are listening to them really do believe it. And if they're very, very stressed and it intersects with different kinds of paranoia and then also intersects with um, guns, you know, things can get really mm-hmm. bad really, really fast. And this is, you know, we have to take it very seriously. One thing I would just add is that all the social science research shows that if somebody is going to have, going to be brought back from these worlds, um, it's going to be because the, somebody who they had a pre-existing relationship with reached them. Not They're not going to hmm. read my book, but they may, they may listen to you. Yeah. Let's bring in Joe in Redwood City, who's got a situation that uh, he's struggling with. Welcome, Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, just to let you know, Naomi, I just went on to... Uh, Redwood City Public Library and placed a hold on your book so I can read it as soon as possible. Um, but uh, yeah, I we have a circle of friends. We grew up in Boston area. We have a circle of friends back east that we were just really tight with, and we still are. You know, even as people get married and moved away. Um, one friend had gone a little bit down the rabbit hole with nine eleven, mm-hmm. and that kind of played itself out, and everything seemed to be okay. And I guess as years go by, we didn't talk about it as much. But then when COVID hit, this person was a chemical engineer who actually had worked for Big Pharma um, and somehow flipped and was convinced that it was all a hoax. Um, So much so, sadly, that he had an argument with another good friend of ours who's a physician who is an emergency room physician treating people every day, seeing what was going on. And this other guy saying, well, you have your sources. Mm -hmm. I have mine. It's not real. Jeez and it, it was so sad. Yeah, it's like I, I couldn't believe it. Now, to your point, Naomi, you just made about uh, reaching back out. Mm-hmm. Um, people ostracized this guy. And for a couple of years, no one was really interacting. And it was painful because the kids were still, you know, wanting their dad to be involved, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recently, I I was told, I wasn't there, we were back here in California, that they had a party and um, it's it's sort of an annual beach party thing we do. And they actually, some of them invited him to go play beach volleyball or something sort of ancillary and reached out. And they said it was really started to be really nice. They didn't talk about anything like that. And I just, I I don't know if I didn't hear earlier. I hope in your book, it talks about, or maybe you could advise me to go elsewhere, how to recover and how to reclaim these relationships. You know, because yeah. it's a big loss. It's very sad. Very nice guy. We loved him, and and he's. It's incredible. I don't understand how the two yeah. people can coexist. Let's um. You know, you have a thing you say in this book. Thank you so much, Joe, for yeah. for telling that story. Where you kind of talk about you know this and that, right? <laughs> that, yeah. that talk to us about it. Yeah. You know, one of the things I do in the book, as you know, is is look at the literature around doppelgangers, the psychoanalytic literature. Freud wrote extensively about it, Otto Rank, um, Jung as well. Um, also, just there are so many great books uh, uh, about about doppelgangers, Dostoevsky, uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Ursula Le Guin. Um, I do spend a lot of time with Philip Roth. <laughs> and Philip Much Roth, to your chagrin. <laughs> you know, I, 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 it, was, it was reluctant. I, 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 ha, I, I had a self-imposed Philip, Philip Roth boycott um, for many years, but I had to engage with one of the greatest doppelganger novels of all time, which is Operation Shylock, um, where a uh, character named Philip Roth, who 
basically is Philip Roth, the writer, has a doppelganger, Philip Roth, who's who's creating all kinds of havoc. And it ends up being a novel, as many doppelganger works of art are, um, really about the doppelganger we most fear, which is the collective evil twin that is the fascist state. And, you know, if you think about films like Jordan Peele's films, the horror of the doubled society and white supremacy that is that that is always threatening to flip the United States into a fascist state. And we, we all feel this fascist double, I think. And I have friends who live in India who who say it's happening. It's happened. We're, we're flipping. We're flipping into a fascist state um, or Italy. And so this... Um, the phrase this and that comes from Roth and he's talking about a uh, a Nazi war crimes trial and the defense is, well, I couldn't have done it. I couldn't have been uh, Ivan the Terrible because I'm just this nice grandfatherly auto worker. Uh, and, and Roth says, but of course you can be both this and that. And it's also true that human beings are complicated and that we're capable of incredible compassion and loveliness and warmth um, and empathy and selfish. I mean, we're both the people who cheered for the healthcare workers and hoarded toilet paper. The same person can be, you know, can, can have both of those impulses. So we have to think about what are the social structures um, and 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 pol- and and also uh, economic and political policies that support the our better angels because we are most of us are capable of 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 this and that of being uh, very very self involved and um, all about just protecting ours and our own and we're also capable of compassion um, and caring about other people so how do we how do we how, how do we encourage the better parts of ourselves but yeah that story is so interesting I think um, because. One of the things that happens when we cut people off is that conspiracy culture is not just about the ideas that are surging there uh, or the cosmologies, right? It's also that these are your only friends left. And it's much harder to bring people back when you're not just asking them to change their mind about vaccines. You're asking them to lose all their friends. Mm. So so I think it's great that you played volleyball. <laughs> yeah. You know, one listener writes... Can you talk about the ways Naomi Wolf hasn't changed? Mm. What are clues in her former life that show that her opinions now aren't a surprise? I mean, parenthetically, if that's what you think. I'm thinking of Giuliani, who, for example, uh, for someone who wasn't really paying attention, would seem in the 90s, he was a pretty normal mainstream politician and went insane in the 2010s. But for a New Yorker, they know he was always a racist and a fascist. A lot has changed since the 90s in mainstream culture. Um, what do you What do you think? That's such a good question. Um, you know, there have been quite a few sort of what happened to Naomi Wolf articles that were published during the COVID era. Um, and some of them said, you know, the seeds were certainly there in the beauty myth. There were big factual errors in that book. She really exaggerated the numbers on anorexia, for instance. And she made corrections in subsequent editions. Um some people said, you know, that book was a conspiracy in uh, in, in the sense that it, it sort of implied that there was an intent to hold women back. Um, I think that's a bit of a stretch, frankly. I, I mean, I, I definitely think that she showed that she w- was sloppy with facts early on, but I don't think the beauty myth was a, was, was a conspiracy theory. Um, and... I think that if there are clues, I have, you know, I have a quote in the book from Gore Vidal, um, the late Gore Vidal, who, who he said, some writers take to drink, 
other writers take to audiences. <laughs> that, one, that quote was so good, I almost couldn't even, I couldn't even handle it. And I think if there is a clue, it would be in the way she took to audiences. Um, because when that intersects with the incentives of social media and the ability to just get um, access to um, sort of ego stroking any time of day, I think it can lead people down a very dangerous path. And so, you know, I have a little equation in the book um, for, you know, it's, it's, it's a jokey equation, but I think there is a little bit of truth in, in it in terms of understanding these types of figures. You know, she is one of, of many. Um, and, uh, and, and the equation is um, social, wait, uh, <laughs> I'm forgetting my own equation. Um, it definitely has social media addiction. Um, here, let me just yes, call it Yes, the addiction is definitely yeah. a, a... So, okay, so this is... All right, so the first part is narcissism slash grandiosity times social media addiction plus midlife crisis. And this this one is key, divided by public shaming, or it could be private shaming, as our the previous yeah. uh, caller mentioned, equals right-wing meltdown. <laughs> <laughs> that um, explains a lot. A lot of explanatory power there. Um, this is a fundraising period for KQED Public Radio. For more information about how to support KQED, go to kqed.org. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Um, I want to bring in a couple more callers, Naomi. Um, in particular, let's bring in Peggy in Sebastopol. Welcome. Hi. Thank you, Alexis. Um, um you know, uh, I think the left as well as the right is guilty of uh, extremist labeling. And I think conspiracy theory is strengthened by uh, censorship by the mainstream media of dissident voices that are critical of mainstream narrative. You know, where is the interview with Robert Kennedy or Glenn Greenwald, for that matter? These are reasonable, intelligent, critical people. Where are they on NPR or New York Times? Um, they're, they're not there. They're shut out. And that strengthens the... the uh, so I am hoping that this changes, because uh, I think questioning authority is a good thing, and uh, yeah, otherwise Peggy. you get to leap into the extremist uh, craziness. Mm. Peggy, thanks uh, so much. I mean, I... Well, Naomi Klein, you in the book, you describe the deep platforming of people as something that kind of was cheered by many people on the left and that you have sort of more complicated uh, thoughts about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not comfortable with Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg having the, that kind of power to just decide who is going to have access to essentially our public square. Because if you look at what they're doing in places with very authoritarian governments, they're they're doing the same thing, but at the behest of authoritarian governments to get rid of political dissidents. Um, so I, you know, I think we need a much more democratic media. <laughs> I think it's great if people support their local public radio. Um, I heard that you're having a fundraising drive. <laughs> but I also agree with this caller that that we should have a broader uh, um, a spectrum of ideas within the you know bounds of acceptable discourse. Uh, I think it's pretty 
pretty policed in the United States. You know, somebody I'm published internationally and have been for a long time, and I, I'm always struck that the that the parameters of like what an what is it like what is acceptable to say in the New York Times tends to be a little narrower than it would be <laughs> elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I mean, it's I think, a good point. But, but Amy, do I think one of the hard things about this is people who lie on the air, for example, or who are that is that are not operating in the same kind of epistemological norms that that, yeah. that, that are what we do as yeah. journalists and as people who work in this field. No, and I mean, I don't, I, I like I said, I mean, I, I think that, um, no, I don't think that this is what is driving people to these wild theories. I, I just think it's a good point that we should have a, a broad mm-hmm, spectrum mm-hmm. of ideas. But, you know, I think, I think Robert F. Kennedy Jr., who was mentioned, um, used to have a lot of access to the New York Times and Rolling Stone and Salon. And the reason why he lost access is because he was spreading false information that had to be retracted about the connection between vaccines and autism. There is no connection. It has been thoroughly debunked. And he was saying it again and again and started an organization to perpetuate that very, very damaging myth. So I don't accept that Robert F. Kennedy, you know, is being discriminated against because he's a left winger. He's being discriminated against because his work was debunked. Um, So after thinking so deeply about this issue, I mean, how does being mixed up with Naomi Wolf now make you feel like is it different mm-hmm. from when you started the book like did you come to peace around this um yeah I, I you know i find it oddly freeing to to just accept that i've totally lost control over my public persona i know that sounds really weird to say but i've been you know in the public eye since i was pretty young uh, you know i was lucky enough to get like a newspaper column when i was 24 or something like that and so I think I probably took myself a bit too seriously um, and 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 sort of carried a particular weight, which was not commensurate to my importance in the world. And I think generally we take ourselves too seriously. And there was, you know, I think we should take facts seriously. I think we should take ideas seriously. Um, but I take my brand a lot less seriously. I take my image a lot less seriously. And there's something about the 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 the, the specter of the dop- of the doppelganger, the idea that all of us have somebody out there who the rest of the world is confusing for us. That is, it's a fundamental challenge to the seriousness with which we take ourselves, and it tells us you are not in control of yourself as much as you think you are. <laughs> and the thing is, we're none of us are. Like mm-hmm. we can polish ourselves and optimize ourselves and perfect ourselves. But we also know that we can be undone in an instant, you know, by an accident, mm-hmm. by by a diagnosis. So yeah. we should all just, yeah, I find it freeing is the yeah. short answer. Last thing, one listener tweets, for what it's worth, I never confuse the two Naomi's. <laughs> we have been talking with journalist, author, and activist Naomi Klein about her new book, Doppelganger, A Trip into the Mirror World. Fascinating. Thanks so much for joining us, Naomi. It was such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Alexis. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for another hour of Forum Ahead with Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, 
the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.